The next contribution comes from Jim, born 1920. I met Jim at Burton Latimer Library. Uh, I, I was impressed by his liveliness and his bright mind and his brilliant sense of humour. Uh, and it was a lovely place to be at Burton Library and still is. Um, so Jim, 1920. My mother, Dorothy May Carter, was born in Chalfont, St Giles, Buckinghamshire in 1884. My father, James Vaughan, was born in 1884. Mum met Dad when she visited her relatives in London. Dad worked as a glazier. I believe he got himself in a bit of trouble when he was a young man. But to avoid a brief spell in prison, he, he joined the army. He wanted to join the cavalry because he had been working in stables close to where he lived. But the recruitment sergeant decided he should join the infantry instead. When he left the army, he was kept in the army reserve. Dad then got taken on by the Metropolitan Railway at Baker Street. This was the first underground railway in the world. His job was to maintain the buildings, mainly painting. He continued with this job until Germany declared war. Dad later told me that he was in France in 48 hours. It was at Mons in Belgium. There were hundreds of men to begin with. This was the first time that my dad had ever had to fire a rifle to kill. The battle continued for three days. A lot of men were lost. Orders were given to retreat. They retreated for 14 days until they were on the outskirts of Paris. A French general realised that the left flank of Germany was weak, so he commandeered all the taxis in Paris to be filled with infantry men aiming to prevent the Germans from advancing. Germans, French and British started to dig their own trenches. There were many casualties. Mr Churchill thought of, of a plan to attack by going through the Dardanelles in order to attack the Germans. Battle-hardened troops were put into boats and steamships. The men were told to march up and down the beach. They were told to fire between the legs of the enemy, not directly at them. However, this proved futile. The men didn't have enough supplies and the clothing they wore was insufficient. Sometimes two or three men from the same family would be killed. After the war, Dad returned to the Metropolitan Railway. Everyone was so poor then, women would sing in the streets. A lot of men were sleeping on benches near the river. The organ grinder would be giving out a tune. Ramsay MacDonald became the first Labour Prime Minister, but after 18 months he resigned. Child payments were later cut from one shilling and sixpence to one shilling a week. Adult payments were also reduced. They followed the Jarrow marches. They had to pass a medical before they were allowed to join the march from Jarrow to London. The Jarrow march was not backed by a political party, but was formed by all classes of people. All people wanted to do was to work, but there was no work available. Poor people were stigmatised then, just as they are stigmatised now. There were soup kitchens in the schools. You could smell the soup being cooked. We lived in a small property. The rent was seven shillings a week. Dad had been supplied with a blue serge suit after he was discharged from the army. The pawning of this suit was our rent money. Mum would pawn the suit on Monday for seven shillings, then get the suit back on Friday. Mum and Dad would go to the pub for a drink on Saturdays. 
Beer would be four pence a pint. The following Monday would see them back in the queue to pawn the suit again. The queue was always long. Everyone was poor then. Mum and Dad were good parents in spite of the poverty they faced. They then followed the Spanish flu. It was said that more people died from the flu than did in the Great War. Mum and Dad lost twins aged three to this flu. I had short trousers and jumpers but no underwear. Rickets and tuberculosis were rife. There was no medical help for these conditions really, apart from being sent to open air hospitals. I have an older sister called Dorothy and a younger sister called Margaret. My younger sister died in 1941 of rheumatic fever. She was 17. Funerals were paid for by the month. You could be buried for £8. When the Nash assistants came in, it was £28 to pay for a coffin. coffin. Many people were buried in Porthos graves then. I used to play a lot of street games as a boy, such as marbles and cricket. I used to use the lamppost as cricket stumps, but would run into the house when the police arrived. I went to bridge school, NW10. I'd walk to school. I loved to read when I was at school. In fact, I learnt to read by reading the Bible. I'd stand at the front of the class and deliver the passage. Children who weren't as confident as me would be, would be given the cane, a grown man giving a child the cane. If I pulled my hand back, then I'd get another stroke. I had a nice headmistress who was very good, as she would just slap me. You started at standard one, but wouldn't move to the next until next standard until you were proficient at level one. Special needs schools didn't exist then. There were 43 children in my class. Boys in senior school would do carpentry whilst the girls did cooking and needlework. I had to be able to read the ruler. If my work reached the required standard, then I'd, be a, I'd get a stamp on my card. A lot of children left school without being able to read or write. I met a young girl at Harrow on the hill recently. She was aged about 23 or 24. She told me that she couldn't read. I don't think she had enough money to pay for her train fare, so I gave her some money. It was a disgrace that children left school without being able to read then, just as it is a disgrace now. Teaching has changed so much from when I was a child, I learned by rote. I also think going to watch silent movies helped me to read. Remember how there, were bubble, there was a bubble with the words in it on the screen. I could read well by the time I was age seven. I remembered Cliffhanger and Walter Milley, cowboy and, cowboy and western films, as well as Charlie Chaplin. All his movements were to mime, but you could also buy small films when they were shifting pianos. They really made me laugh. When we were living in the first house, we bought the Evening Standard. The only book we had in our house when I was a boy was the Bible and a book on military law. Dad could remember everything he read in this book. He could read, but he couldn't spell. Before Mum married Dad, she was living in a tied cottage with her family. Her father was a farm labourer. Mum told me how they had deaf and dumb people as neighbours. Mum used to help out there, so she learned sign language. Our family moved into a lovely council house in the early 30s. It was a Canadian model which was shipped to England. There wasn't a brick on the, this house. It had four bedrooms and I shared a bed with my brother until I was older. I think that they were lucky to live in... I think we were lucky to live in a nice home. We had a separate bathroom and toilet. There was a 19-foot front garden and a 20-foot back garden. We lived at number number one Wembley, which was by the River Brent. 
It's funny looking back, but this, there was this chap who had a big garden than us. He paid a penny a week extra rent money for this privilege. We also had 40 units of free electricity every week. However, a third of Dad's wages would be taken in rent money. Our lives were different then. A green grocery van visited the street weekly. The butcher would sell all his meat late on Saturday at a greatly reduced price. Mum used to buy tea bone of beef. We'd have a Sunday roast, cold meat on Monday, then on Tuesday, Mum would make a stew. Everything, including onions, would go into the pot. It smelled lovely. The butcher would deliver a, a block of ice, blocks of ice regularly. These blocks would be delivered wrapped in sacking to keep the ice cold. A van came round the street, street every week selling carbolic substance, which was used to keep everything clean in the houses. The rag and bone man called around every day. Wives used to love going out and finding a bargain whenever the rag and bone man called. However, visits were later reduced to once a week, one a week, when new regulations were introduced. The milkman would come around with his pony every day. There would be a big contains on the back of his trolley where the milk was kept. Women would take out their measuring jugs to fetch the milk, their milk from him. Another of my earlier memories is of a group of lads clubbing together to buy this old car. It had a solid, it had solid rubber tyres. The boys must have spent ages trying to make it roadworthy. Another funny memory I have, I have is of private bus companies racing to get to collect their passengers before the bus companies got there. This practice came to the end after the end of after the London Transport Company was formed. I left school at 14 and went into the engineering business. I worked for Wavers Engineering Minerva, Minerva Road, Wilston. I didn't like this job, so I left after about four months. I then got a job at BEA Wood Royal Wood Royal Sovereign Pencil Company. This firm processed wood from Africa. Pencils have different woods. Wood is put into solutions, then into gas ovens. Wood was delivered by lorries. It was pushed into sheet metal sheds where it was stored in metal holders containing a solution and then put into gas machines. The heat was turned on for 34 hours. Afterwards, it was put into brick-built ovens and then poured before being, before being taken to the Royal Sovereign Factory for, for pencil making. I was employed there for about two years. The next contribution comes from Jim, born 1920. I met Jim at Burton Latimer library. Uh, I, I was impressed by his liveliness and his bright mind and his brilliant sense of humour. Uh, and it was a lovely place to be at Burton Library and still is. Um, so Jim 1920. My mother Dorothy May Carter was born in Chalfont St Giles, Buckinghamshire in 1884. My father, James Vaughan, was born in 1884. Mum met Dad when she visited her relatives in London. Dad worked as a glazier. I believe he got himself in a bit of trouble when he was a young man. But to avoid a brief spell in prison, he, he joined the army. He wanted to join the cavalry because he had been working in stables close to where he lived. But the recruitment sergeant decided he should join the infantry instead. When he left the army, he was kept in the army reserve. Dad then got taken on by the Metropolitan Railway at Baker Street. 
This was the first underground railway in the world. His job was to maintain the buildings, mainly painting. He continued with this job until Germany declared war. Dad later told me that he was in France in 48 hours. It was at Mons in Belgium. There were hundreds of men to begin with. This was the first time that my dad had ever had to fire a rifle to kill. The battle continued for three days. A lot of men were lost. Orders were given to retreat. They retreated for 14 days until they were on the outskirts of Paris. A French general realised that the left flank of Germany was weak, so he commandeered all the taxis in Paris to be filled with infantry men aiming to prevent the Germans from advancing. Germans, French and British started to dig their own trenches. There were many casualties. Mr Churchill thought of, of a plan to attack by going through the Dardanelles in order to attack the Germans. Battle-hardened troops were put into boats and steamships. The men were told to march up and down the beach. They were told to fire between the legs of the enemy, not directly at them. However, this proved futile. The men didn't have enough supplies and the clothing they wore was insufficient. Sometimes two or three men from the same family would be killed. After the war, Dad returned to the Metropolitan Railway. Everyone was so poor then, women would see in the streets. A lot of men were sleeping on benches near the river. The organ grinder would be giving out a tune. Ramsay MacDonald became the first Labour Prime Minister, but after 18 months he resigned. Child payments were later cut from one shilling and sixpence to one shilling a week. Adult payments were also reduced. They followed the Jarrow marches. They had to pass a medical before they were allowed to join the march from Jarrow to London. The Jarrow march was not backed by a political party, but was formed by all classes of people. All people wanted to do was to work, but there was no work available. Poor people were stigmatised then, just as they are stigmatised now. There were soup kitchens in the schools. You could smell the soup being cooked. We lived in a small property. The rent was seven shillings a week. Dad had been supplied with a blue serge suit after he was discharged from the army. The pawning of this suit was our rent money. Mum would pawn the suit on Monday to seven shillings, then get the suit back on Friday. Mum and Dad would go to the pub for a drink on Saturdays. Beer would be four pence a pint. The following Monday would see them back in the queue to pawn the suit again. The queue was always long. Everyone was poor then. Mum and Dad were good parents in spite of the poverty they faced. They then followed the Spanish flu. It was said that more people died from the flu than did in the Great War. Mum and Dad lost twins aged three to this flu. I had short trousers and jumpers but no underwear. Rickets and tuberculosis were rife. There was no medical help for these conditions really apart from being sent to open-air hospitals. I have an older sister called Dorothy and a younger sister called Margaret. My younger sister died in 1941 of rheumatic fever. She was 17. Funerals were paid for by the month. You could be buried for £8. When the national assistance came in, it was £28 to pay for a coffin. Many people were buried in pauper's graves then. I used to play a lot of street games as a boy, such as marbles and cricket. I used to use the lamppost as cricket stumps, but would run into the house when the police arrived. I went to bridge school, NW10. I'd walk to school. I loved to read when I was at school. 
In fact, I learnt to read by reading the Bible. I'd stand at the front of the class and deliver the passage. Children who weren't as confident as me would be would be given the cane. A grown man given a child the grain. If I pulled my hand back, then I'd get another stroke. I had a nice headmistress who was very good, as she would just slap me. You started at standard one, but wouldn't move to the next until next standard until you were proficient at level one. Special needs schools didn't exist then. There were 43 children in my class. Boys in senior school would do carpentry whilst the girls did cooking and needlework. I had to be able to read the ruler. If my work reached the required standard, then I'd, be a, I'd get a stamp on my card. A lot of children left school without being able to read or write. I met a young girl at Harrow on the hill recently. She was aged about 23 or 24. She told me that she couldn't read. I don't think she had enough money to pay for her train fare, so I gave her some money. It was a disgrace that children left school without being able to read then, just as it is a disgrace now. Teaching has changed so much from when I was a child. I learned by rote. I also think going to watch silent movies helped me to read. Remember how there, were bubble, there was a bubble with the words in it on the screen. I could read well by the time I was age seven. I remembered Cliffhanger and Walter Milley, cowboy and, cowboy and Western films, as well as Charlie Chaplin. All his movements were to mine, but you could also buy small films when they were shifting pianos. They really made me laugh. When we were living in the first house, we bought the Evening Standard. The only book we had in our house when I was a boy was the Bible and a book on military law. Dad could remember everything he read in this book. He could read, but he couldn't spell. Before Mum married Dad, she was living in a tied cottage with her family. Her father was a farm labourer. Mum told me how they had deaf and dumb people as neighbours. Mum used to help out there, so she learned sign language. Our family moved into a lovely council house in the early 30s. It was a Canadian model which was shipped to England. There wasn't a brick on the, this house. It had four bedrooms and I shared a bed with my brother until I was older. I think that they were lucky to live in, I think we were lucky to live in a nice home. We had a separate bathroom and toilet. There was a 19 foot front garden and a 20 foot back garden. We lived at number, number one Wembley, which was by the River Brent. It's funny looking back, but this, there was this chap who had a big garden than us. He paid a penny a week extra rent money for this privilege. We also had 40 units of free electricity every week. However, a third of Dad's wages would be taken in rent money. Our lives were different then. A greengrocery van visited the street weekly. The butcher would sell all his meat late on Saturday at a greatly reduced price. Mum used to buy a T-bone of beef. We'd have a Sunday rose, cold meat on Monday, then on Tuesday, Mum would make a stew. Everything, including onions, would go into the pot. It smelled lovely. The butcher would deliver a, a block of ice, blocks of ice regularly. These blocks would be delivered wrapped in sacking to keep the ice cold. A van came round the street, street every week selling carbolic substance, which was used to keep everything clean in the houses. The rag and bone man called around every day. Wives used to love going out and finding a bargain whenever the rag and bow man called. However, visits were later reduced to once a week, one a week, when new regulations were introduced. The milkman would come around with his pony every day. 
there would be a big containers on the back of his trolley where the milk was kept. Women would take out their measuring jugs to fetch the milk, their milk from him. Another of my earlier memories is of a group of lads clubbing together to buy this old car. It had a solid, it had solid rubber tyres. The boys must have spent ages trying to make it roadworthy. Another funny memory I have, I have is of private bus companies racing to get to collect their passengers before other bus companies got there. This practice came to the end after the end of after the London Transport Company was formed. I left school at 14 and went into the engineering business. I worked for Wavers Engineering Minerva, Minerva Road, Wilston. I didn't like this job, so I left after about four months. I then got a job at BEA Wood Royal Wood Royal Sovereign Pencil Company. This firm processed wood from Africa. Pencils have different woods. Wood is put into solutions, then into gas ovens. Wood was delivered by lorries. It was pushed into sheet metal sheds where it was stored in metal holders containing a solution and then put into gas machines. The heat was turned on for 34 hours. Afterwards, it was put into brick-built ovens and then before being, before being taken to the Royal Sovereign Factory for, for pencil making. I was employed there for about two years. At the start of the Second World War, I had to go for a medical checkup at Acton Drill Hall. I recall that this was near ironmongery and oil shops. The result of this was me getting a letter to post in the post to go to a private practice in Wimpole Street. I was ushered in to see this doctor. He even had his own x-ray machine. I was given another physical examination. I wasn't up to service, not even being a Bevan boy. I then worked for Victoria Machine Tool Company in North, a North Acton. I had been doing vertical drilling before. My job was now to do drill castings, making vertical drills for milling machines. It was a family firm. I was there for about 32 years. I was made redundant and was without a job for about two months. My son-in-law helped me to get a job at General Motors Kingsbury. I was then forced to look around for another job and was lucky enough to find job, a job working at the Heinz Brew Factory. It was a good firm to work for, as they had a canteen which opened from 6.30am until 10am, then opened again from 12 until 2, then 5 until 6.30pm. It was a factory that was open all day and night. The factory was next to the Grand Union Canal. In the early days, the boats even transported live turtles to make turtle soup. In the same factory were women who were putting olives into jars. The women were not allowed to talk. They had huge barrels of vinegar, also brought in on barges. The factory also had its barges bringing in things like baked beans. They had about six lines of beans from small to large. I remember that there were half a pound tins of beans with pork fat on the top. Mum used to buy a tin for me. I recall how they used to have little lines running above where, that, where we worked. All the tins would be moving along at these lines. Mr Hines, who was a Quaker, was a very generous man and had started his business in America, growing horseradish, etc. And he would sell his produce on the markets. He must have done very well doing this. In 1920, he came to London 
on a business trip. The businessmen he met bought up all his stock. The factory had a doctor and five nurses to help to look after everyone. There used to be five tea rooms. If you started work early, then you would be given a free breakfast. It would be very handy for single people being able to get their meals in the factory canteen. Every Christmas, people would be given a gift. Every five years, you were given a booklet with things that you could choose as a gift. It proved very useful for young people who were looking at setting up home and getting married. I married Mrs Doreen Gower at Williston Register Office in 1947. She had three boys. I met her when she was working as a capstan lathe operator at the Victoria Tool Company. She had been living in Tottenham until she got bombed out. We had three daughters and a son. Our first child was born in 1947. She now lives in Bushy near Watford. Our second daughter was born in 1949. She now lives in Pinner. Our next daughter was born in December 1951. We then had a son, born December 31, 1955. He lives in Burton Latimer. I have been living in Burton Latimer since 1993. I have ten grandchildren. My family generally come up to visit me every three or four months. I was in hospital in October for a few weeks. When I was discharged, I stayed with my daughter in Bushy for a while. My wife died a day after Boxing Day, 1985, which also was the year that I retired. She died following a heart attack. I moved to Burton Latimer when London felt too dangerous to remain. We had been burgled twice and two house bricks had been thrown through the windows. I had an elder brother who lived in Harrow. His wife had died. I would go and visit him and he then moved in with me. I love Burton. It feels free from crime with no muggings or stealing of cars. I still love to read and love to visit Burton Library. So do I, Jim. A really lovely and welcoming place. I live from day to day now. I love to talk to older people who live here. I would say that there are an awful lot of transient people living here. I met a bloke a few years ago who told me how he had a distinguished conduct medal. He, he says how his last operation was to free prisoners on, of war on the borders of Poland in Stettin. When they had polished the German guards off, it was tea time. He said to them, isn't it about time you went home? This man drank man's paling brown ale, which made me decide that I would like to sit next to him. We belong to the RAC club. I think that they built five, uh, five apart apartments there. That's the end of um, Jim's story, but another really obviously valuable one. Brilliant sense of humour, how I bring as silly as. Um, so Jim, 1920.